HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you with support from Fairplate. Tickets and information at F-A-R-E-P-L-A-T-E dot com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, we're celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, and welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network. Yeah, I don't know, like, what is it, like 120 or something? From Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Got a totally different crew in the in the house today. Nastasia de Hammer Lopez may be calling in uh, later. She is in California discussing pasta with very fancy folks, very fancy pasta folks, and eating some low-quality white bread, which we can talk about later. But in Nastasia's place, we have... Robert Patrick Murphy, a.k.a. Bobby, Bobby Donuts. How you doing? I'm doing really well. Great to be on the show. Yeah, Bobby is the uh, beverage director of Existing Conditions, a bar you might be aware of that uh, I'm involved with on West A Street in Manhattan, New York City. And we do not have Matt in the booth today. We have Jeet. Jeet, how you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Doing all right. Now, you've never done this show before, right? So I we're, have not. We're, we're, this is the first time we've worked together. Right. So we're going to have to go through some stuff here. So what? Sure. what is your... Like, like, give me some food information about you so I have some sort of feeling about who you are. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, like, what I like to eat or, like, what I like, what I think about food? Sure. Okay. Um, I, I guess I like to eat home-cooked food more than uh, go out and eat. I just recently started to cook over the last two to three years. Uh-huh. I was not much into food before that, but uh, after interning at Heritage Radio Network and getting into the engineering side, I uh, really started to be fascinated by it. So you're coming at it. You 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 came to this like strictly as an, a an audio yeah. audio engineer. Right? Yeah. And when you say how, how many people live where you live? Uh, it's just me and like two roommates. Two roommates. And so you cook for them. They cook for you. Oh no, not at all. I cook for myself. Really? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So like, what level of thing do you cook for yourself? So I think the world, like, it, it, it's when you talk to people that cook, right? So like, I love to cook, right? Mm-hmm. I mean. I, I, I hope people know that. <laughs> uh, but I, I love to cook, but I never cook for myself. When I'm oh. when I'm eating just and also I don't like dining alone. So like it's not that I don't I mean I don't 
I don't mind. It's never an occasion for me to eat out, so I'm never that guy who's like getting blown out like solo in a in a uh, at a place. By the way, <laughs> not a sexual term. That just means being treated well. At, you know, at an Again, not a sexual term. Not a sexual term. Uh, well, and Bobby, like verify this, so I'm not the only guy saying it. When sure. a sp- a sp- maybe not as much at a bar, but even at a bar, but at a restaurant. By the way, for those of you that don't know, Bobby uh, isn't just just. I mean, just a bar guy. I'm not insulting bar guys, but like comes from a fine dining uh, background, was at Next uh, in Chicago for a long time, correct? Yes. Yeah. Uh, originally from uh, Iowa, so if you have any Iowa questions. By the way, I'll give the phone number to call in, 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128 for any bar slash Chicago, because that's where he was working for many years, slash Iowa, slash cooking for yourself questions called in. Uh when you show up at a restaurant, specifically a fine dining restaurant solo, you get VIP'd instantly. Not because, just, I don't know why, but it's just, it's like, it's the culture that if someone shows up alone, you give them, I guess because the assumption is, is that they don't have someone to talk to. That you- yeah, you spend a lot of time with them, but people like Jay Pasquale that has four reservations in one night to go to, to like three fine dining restaurants sometimes doesn't even talk. Um Right, but but still you treat them, like, people who are solo diners get treated well. They get treated really well. I mean, you you tend to spend a lot of time with them. You uh, tend to, like, talk to them a lot more, I guess, than other tables. Um, But, I mean, not necessarily. Like, it's all dependent on the person. Some people are there, and, like, they dine alone, and they're, like, super strategic about, like, taking notes and, like, want to be left alone or, like, doing documentation. But, yeah, some people, like, they eat it up. They want to be, like, talked to, and they want to be... Given that experience, you know, since there is no one else around. When I'm alone, uh, when I'm alone, I just eat as fast as is humanly possible and, you know, GTFO. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm the, like, the kitchen loves you for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, although, well known story, I was not eating alone. I almost got kicked out of a Michelin starred restaurant in Madrid for eating too fast before they could explain what was going on because they were taking so long with their danged explanations of what the hell they were serving me. But back, back to where we're going. So when I'm, eat, when I'm cooking for myself, I either make something that my family does not like to eat, right? <laughs> like uh, I now, – now my kids are kind of better with it, but like I love poached eggs on toast. So it, for years it used to be if I was alone – poached eggs on toast and then if I had a country ham in the fridge which P.S. is always I would like throw a couple slices of raw country ham on top of the poached eggs and toast done that was dinner you know uh, but yeah like so, or like you know lunch breakfast I'm never cooking for myself I'll have leftovers or whatever else so I th- to me it's 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 interesting that I don't know so but G you like cooking for yourself I do and my girlfriend of course oh, she okay. loves my cooking well how often does your girlfriend come over to eat uh, at least once a week, um, maybe twice. Yeah, is this okay with your roommates? Oh yeah, they have to be okay with it. Ah. well, is it okay? So, in any apartment situation, there's one person who kind of rules the roost. Are you the ruler of the roost? Is this your apartment, and the other people are glomming on, or is it an uh, equal share? Considering that I'm the one with the master bedroom, I would think so. Yeah, yeah. See, Bobby <laughs> is in the opposite position. He is in a situation where he is not the ruler of the roost, ah. and so he does. He would not feel comfortable. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Bobby, bringing people over and doing a big to-do because you don't feel like it's your place, right? There's just not enough space. Like, it's just not yeah. an apartment conducive for entertaining. Yeah, but even if it was, like, you always say, you're like, I feel like, you know. Yeah, I mean, invite some people over for cocktails or something, but like, yeah, not not for dinner. 
By the way, Dave, we have uh, Ryan from California, and he had a question about induction cooking uh, for home cooking. Do it. All right. Caller, you're on the air. Ryan, what's up? All right. Here we go. All right. He should be on right now. Ryan, what's going on? Hey, Dave. How are you? Doing well. Good. Good. So my question was, um, I'm looking for a commercial induction cooktop, but for home use. Um, the, the My problem that I've, I've ran into is, well, one, I'm specifically looking in Nastasia, close your ears. I'm looking for one with a knob, a big old knob on it. Um, and it needs to be 120 volt. Um, since, you know, I looked at the home models and all of them have the touch screens and all that junk. And, and since I'm blind, I can't really use that. Right. So um, I know you have the control freak, which is great, but that's a little out of my budget. So uh, well, so I'd, I'd like your opinion, recommendations, or, you know, any, anything, any advice you could give me. Okay, so this is an interesting, this is a super interesting question. I'm trying to think about all the units I've used. So the, the control freak has, what the control freak has, besides being out of your <clears throat> budget, the control freak, Bobby, you've used the control freak, <laughs> yeah. right? So the, and for those of you that don't know, Control Freak is the uh, collab between uh, Preston from PolyScience and Breville. They came out with a, an induction burner that was kind of meant for caterers and pro people, but still plugs into a 120. It is pricey, right? Uh, but the, mm-hmm. one of the advantages it does have is that most inexpensive or home induction units have a... Um, uh, they're all kind of membrane switches, right? So you're not getting yeah. a kind of a tactile uh, feedback. And I have to say that while the um, while the uh, the control freak does have a big old knob on it, for those of you that have, uh, if you've ever used it, the knob isn't an, uh, what I would call a hard knob. It's a it's a rotary encoder. So, um, you know, you could sit there and, you know, keep turning it, turning it, turning it. So it doesn't actually provide a down-up reference, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, it, it only you, – obviously, you could tell I am moving up, I am moving down, uh, but you can't say, for instance, um, you, you can't be like, I'm at half – you can't – so, like, it, it, for me, like, a lot of times if I'm looking for tactile response, I'll just – I'll. I'll auto go all the way to off, and then I know where halfway is, right? <clears throat> uh, or yeah, I can, t- right. or I can tell by, uh, you know, if I've used a piece of equipment for a long time, I know the orient, I know the uh, orientation of the of the whatever you call the pull, you know, the 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 thing you hold on to, you know, that that, that part of the knob, the actual thing that your Absolutely. finger, yeah, I know the position of that relative to the, you know, to the input that I want to provide, and the control freak won't do that. It does have a. Um, it does have some audible, um, some audible feedback, right? Uh, in terms of mm-hmm. you know I am on or I you know I have been uh, turned off. Uh, I believe it also provides audible uh, feedback on um, what, what that you've hit uh, the temperature or can do. The, it, now I know it's not in your price range. I'm just talking about it because the other thing is, is that it is somewhat programmable and I would bet, having spoken to the people at Breville, right, that mm-hmm. um, it could be made with 
small amounts of intervention and it might be a project they want to take on. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I haven't spoken to them in a long time, but I know a lot of people who do a lot of work with them. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and like, it, like for instance, like you could make it such that it provided a, there's no way to change it from a, a rotary encoder to a hard knob, but like no. maybe it could provide a different, a different tone for what temperature or thi- you know, whatever power it has is turned to right now. Now, to go back to all the other non-expensive induction units that I've ever used, the only induction units I've ever used that have a hard knob on them are Cooktex, and the Cooktex units made in Chicago, by the way, Bobby. It's one of the only ones of value. Like it's the problem with the control freak is, yes, it's expensive, but like I have one- found Garlands as well who have the knobs. There is one by made by Max Burden, but there it's also you know the membrane controls. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at the Garlands right now. How much do they like cost? The best option. How much did the Garland makes a 120? Um, yeah, it does. They have a induction cooktop that's uh, portable. It's 120. Um, of course, since it's 120, it only goes up to 1800 watts. But that's that's fine for me. It's actually um, a lot of power. Like so, yeah. f- for those you know, if you haven't used them a lot before, uh, you know, eight, eight, 1800 watts. They're probably lying. It's probably closer to 1500. But okay, let's pretend that it's 1800 watts. <laughs> um, that is much more powerful than the average person's gas uh, burner. You know what I mean? Not, not more powerful awesome. than mine, but more powerful than the average person's <laughs> gas burner. Uh, and, you know, in other words, it's enough uh, for, most, for most things. So what, what do they charge for that, though? It's like seven sixty-five. Huh. You know, it's kind of expensive, but since I'm assuming it's, you know, it's commercial, I'm assuming it's going to last a lot longer, be made out of better build quality so the cook techs that I've used are very robo. The cook techs I've used are like heavy duty, but I've never used a 120 cook tech, and they are very expensive. They are like more than the um, uh, control freak. They are, but they'll last a really long time, and they they have a really good policy on returns and repair. Um, yeah, yeah, I've not used Garland's. Uh, Garland is owned by who owns them now? They're owned. They're owned by one of the large conglomerates now. I, I can't remember which one, but for if, if something does cost six hundred bucks, if Garland's willing to stand behind it, uh, you know, I'd say that sounds like a good deal for something with a hard knob because the only hard knob induction unit I've ever used costs two grand at least. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. And, and use yeah. it and it isn't portable in this. I mean, it is portable, but it's not portable in the sense that you know you need a, a you know a, a two twenty outlet for it. Um, I will say this in general, uh, Garland's gone through a bunch of cycles. Like Garland was once a, an extremely well-loved brand. Then Garland went into the hole for a number of years for, for a long period of time. People stopped using Garland. Garland then got, I believe, either bought or the brand got renovated and then Garland's quality started kind of going up Garland. But as I said, Garland's part of a much larger group. So just because it has the Garland name on it doesn't mean that it's being built by them. They're probably having someone else in their group because, you know, I don't know that they specifically like engineers who actually go to like a building with the word Garland on it every day, like have that kind of expertise. They're probably, (laughs) they're probably outsourcing that. I'm, I'm talking at, by the way, this is not research. This is just like, you know, off the top of my head. Um, so a lot of times when you have units, two different teams will be entirely different in terms of build quality. Now, if they're mm-hmm. willing to put the Garland name on it, 
my hope would be that since the last time I checked, Garland was on an upswing in terms of its kind of quality, that they would only put their name on something that they're proud of and that they would stand behind it, which sounds good. It's a little suspicious that anyone would sell a, a commercial burner for only $600. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. in general, mm-hmm. anytime you, you put the word commercial on it, it, the assumption is that I'm going to beat the ever-loving snot out of it and that they're going to have to fix it because I am going to abuse it. For instance, the spinzols that I'm having now are like I'm getting feedback from people. And we can get into it later if anyone cares about the kind of the different kinds of abuse that they're going through that we now have to figure out how to tell people how to fix. And I can go into that, mm-hmm. you know, at length if someone cares about it. But uh, I'd say give it a shot. What do you think, Bobby? I mean, if you need the hard knob, I would say you don't have a lot of other choices. Yeah, I mean, if the hard knob's what you, if you want, um, do it. I'll, I will say drastically, though, like, I don't know if you own your home. Like, there is a lot of, like, larger companies that you can buy in-unit countertop things now that are a lot more affordable with a lot more high, like, power rates. But, but a lot of those are also membrane now. Like, Gaginow doesn't have hard knobs. Yeah. I don't think. I mean, if you look at my brother-in-law, I forget which one he just bought. He just bought... I think he bought an induction unit. The other thing is, induction isn't quite there for home yet. It's not quite there. Like, yeah. like you can buy like the ranges. Like you can buy the ranges, but for instance, like Range Rover oven combos are uh, Range Rover oven combos are um, they don't have a lot of thirty-six inch units, so they don't go no. for like the prosumer people. They go for like the thirty-inch wide units. And honestly, like all the and having dealt with engineers on the engineering side of this. Everyone, and, and I hate to say this, even on the the Spinzol, because people keep breaking the knobs off of them, right? We might have to move to now on a Spinzol. It's not so bad because there's not a lot of. But you know what? You, having this conversation with you, if I ever did have to move to a membrane, I would definitely think about adding some sort of feedback to it so that you knew where you some sort of audible feedback to it so you knew where you were because it absolutely it it, it honestly hadn't registered in my head that it, that, it, that that would be a problem. Now, I, I put the knobs on it specifically because I wanted the tactile feedback that I think everyone, regardless, appreciates in a piece of equipment. But just because of the braking we're getting on it, we might have to move to, to membranes. I mean, definitely not capacitive things. But that's the problem. Everyone now is moving to touchscreens and capacitive things. Not only do they really suck for people when their hands are wet, but they've, you know, very, very. Uh, it's not often that they have any sort of haptics or feedback mechanisms so that no. you can tell what's going on. Uh, and it is an interesting problem. And the next time I do talk to the uh, control freak, freak people, I will, um, I will definitely mention it to them if if I talk to them. Uh, now, maybe maybe also look. Uh, we do have a Heston queue at the bar. I mean, obviously it's not tactile right. adopt situation, but for the price, I feel like. I use that thing three to four times a week, and it does the job, just depending on... The interesting thing to that is it doesn't have a hard knob, but it does have a slider. Yeah. So, in other words, instead of a membrane switch, it, do you remember the old, um, you remember the old iPod, uh, iPod interface with the round click wheel? I do. Yeah. That, that would work. Um, I've thought about getting a Wolf home unit and then labeling with some tactile dots, and I, I think they make some audio feedback, but... You know, it, those are, those are expensive too. Anything is is, is going to be an investment. Um, this is a three hundred dollar investment, and it seems like for a home use, like I would be perfectly happy with it in my apartment. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's meant to have a bunch of other interactive stuff with your phone, which we've never done. 
One last thing, I have used a Garland induction unit before, but a real robo. So Garland makes some induction woks. They're one of the manufacturers that, that, that sells induction woks. I'm not gonna say they produce it, like someone in the larger group produces it probably. Okay. But they have, mm-hmm. two, they have two different levels of induction wok. And at the museum, we have this screamer. It's like, get this, it's like, it's something stupid. It's like six <coughs> kilowatts or something like that. It's like the normal one's like four kilowatts and ours is like you know, somewhere between five, six kilowatts. Kilowatts! And it's just like, yeah. and we were like, all of us. So when, when you're using induction, uh, right? So when you're, an induction burner uh, is actually, the reason it only works on um, things that are mag, you know, magnetic uh, is that it's not just the principle of induction that they're using. They're using what's called the hysteresis loss, uh, which is, you know, uh, uh, the hysteresis loss. Uh, and that's why they have to find a particular frequency so they get the maximum loss in there and they're generating a lot of energy that way. So an actual mm. furnace that's melting aluminum can melt aluminum with induction. And that's how you do it <laughs> typically. But it takes scads more uh, um, current than you would use to heat an induction uh, a pot. And that's why they only really work on things that are magnetic, right? But um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I forget where I was going with this. Oh, so you can't heat anything up above what's called the Curie temperature on an induction range, which is you know right as it starts to cherry up on you. But we dropped some walks into this thing, and it went like right up to cherry almost instantly. It was like we had a bunch of professional uh, you know walk chefs from Chinese uh, restaurants come in, high end Chinese restaurants come in, and. Like universally beforehand, if they had never used an induction walk, they're like, "This is gonna suck. This sucks." How do you, you know, because it's not gas. And then we drop it in, and they're all like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" So, and that's a garland. So that thing kicks some serious behind. So if the same team put their imprimatur on this, they put their imprimatur on that walk, then you're in luck. But you never, never know. Please, if you do try it, please call us back and let us know how it worked out. Absolutely. And if you need help with. Uh making a, a more intuitive design with the spears as far as membranes are consumed, call me up. I know some people or I can help you out myself. Oh, cool. Shoot more me a, shoot me something on uh, cooking issues on Twitter so that we can uh, uh, keep in touch about it. Absolutely. All right. You guys have a great day. Thanks. Now you too. Bye-bye. Thanks. Um, Bye. hey, so what were we talking about before that? I forget. Cooking. We're talking about cooking at home for yourself. Yep. Uh, uh, Dave, we've got a Wes asking about country ham. Hey, wait, is this... Wes is calling about country ham. Yeah, okay. I remember. This is from a Twitter thing because I have a different thing on ham coming up in a second. Wes, how you doing? Good. Yeah, just follow up. So, going to be – we, my wife and I, we've got two young kids who will not be eating huge quantities, and so we want to make the purchase count. Um, love the Suriano. Haven't really had much else from other U.S. ham buyers. I used to um, – steal ham from Spain and, and smuggle it in my baggage back in the day, but I don't have the opportunity to do that now. Don't have the opportunity because you're a global entry and so you're worried about getting caught or because you don't go abroad? <laughs> uh, Just less travel with little kids now. Yeah, for sure. By the way, if you happen to be independently wealthy, they do have some very good uh, like uh, Iberico, Bayota fed Iberico that's coming into the country now, but it's preposterously expensive. It's worth it. Right. It's worth yeah. it. No, You're talking I'm, about the J5? Oh, man, yeah. The J5 is where you need to put your money for sure. Yeah, I mean, like, that stuff is, like, the, the, the correct number of Js. You got to get the correct number yeah. of Js in that thing, but that stuff is ridiculous 
And uh, yeah, some guy comes by with a three J. Don't take it. Yeah. <laughs> so like, for, for we're talking, we're talking about Cincojotes, which is like Cincojotes. <laughs> like that to me, like that is of commercially available like Spanish hams. Like that is the uh, the gold standard. I'm not saying it's the best. It's the one you rate others against. Yep. You know what I mean? And the only reason mm-hmm. that I'm not saying it's the best is because I haven't tried every one. Right? It's the yep. best one I've tried. Now, I – and Peter Kaminsky who wrote a, you know, a, a, a book on uh, ham or pork uh, and you know, was involved in the original taste test we did for American country hams back in like 03 or 04, right? Uh, he once said to uh, a collected group of people, which included like Jeffrey Steingarten and a bunch of other, you know, uh, food food intelligentsia at the time, that um, Spanish ham at its best is the Beatles, and everything else is the Dave Clark Five. <laughs> That's what he said. Uh, and I was like, you know, Pete. I didn't call him Pete because I didn't really know him that well. But I was like, in my mind, I was like, you know, Pete. That's not really fair. They're different products, right? Uh, and you know, I eat American country ham and you know prosciutto on its own, right? Because uh, I I enjoy it, but it's a different experience both in terms of your pocketbook and in terms of kind of what you would use it for uh, than a bayota fed I- ibirico. I would go ahead and say that anyone that does anything with the with like the bayota stuff, other than just eat it straight, is an a hole. You know what I mean? Like you're throwing away yeah. – like if you're using the, the scraps or anything else, fine, whatever. You know what I mean? A little piece – but, you know, or like in Spain they use the – you know, in Catalonia yeah. they use the fat for different things and everything. I, I love how you lie to yourself and you're like two pieces in the pan con tomato and you're like, ah, no, just what am I thinking? And you just <laughs> yeah. immediately like just open mouth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it's a waste. Now, American hams, on the other hand, although, like, I don't really believe they should be uh, – they're fine cooked traditionally. But, like, I think they stand on their on their own merits and they're different. So you shouldn't think about, about it as better or worse, just different and worth different amounts of money because of the different kind of procedures that go into them. Now, I have had nut-fed, long-cured American hams. Edwards used to make one because he used to buy some, like, really strong uh, pork – from Patrick Martin's at Heritage Meats and cure it, I think that entire stock was lost. Cesare Casella makes an American ham more in the Italian style using that same pork, which is delicious, and I advise you to kind of get a hold of it. Um, But in traditional American stuff, Sam Edwards makes a very good product. Nancy Mahaffey at Colonel Newsom's, I haven't had her product in a long time. I used to love, and I think I said this on Twitter uh, in response, like I used to love... Yeah, you did. um, uh, I used to love those those hams because uh, they have this kind of distinct blue cheese note. Just realize if you buy from her, like, you know, I've had on more than one occasion there be some taint along the bone. By the way, if you buy an American ham and you get some taint along the bone, just cut away the taint and you're good to go. Yeah, no, I don't yeah. – I've had it before. I just cut it away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean yeah. I like her stuff. I have a broadband in my fridge right now. That broadband's eating really well at the at the at the bar. By the way, uh, you know, don't, don't want to get anyone jealous out there, but we had a um, a gravity-fed kind of modern Burkle, and in transport, or somehow somebody dropped something on the gauge plate, which is the thing that moves up and down to uh, give you the um, 
thickness. And so it wobbles. And unfortunately, on the unit that we had, it's not easy to get into. It's not like you're just adjusting a, a, you know, a shim or a guide plate to get the gauge plate to be rigid again. And you cannot slice things properly unless your gauge plate is rock solid. And so I was yelling at the, at the, at the folks in the kitchen. I was like, any idiot at a Subway or a Blimpies can slice a freaking piece of meat. What's wrong with you? You know what I mean? Because they couldn't until I went back and inspected the slicer. And so this is one of the reasons why, to, the, to date, we haven't had any ham on the menu at, at existing conditions. But uh, today we are getting delivered a, another loaner of a vertical slicer, vertical slicer. And how are you slicing this ham, by the way, Wes? Um, I actually have like a hundred dollar home meat slicer and it's sharp knives that are long. Um, and you know, the home unit is made by like chef's choice or whatever. And actually it's pretty nice. But it's rotary. Yeah. Huh. And it's similar to the rival, but it's made by chef's choice. I believe so. Yeah. So the thing about it is, is, is that, um, most home units, the, what they lack, other than sharpness and size of the blade, which is a big thing, is, uh, and so I'm assuming you're cutting the ham down into smaller pieces so that you don't have to try to take such a big slice of it, right? Yeah, I might do both. I might, like, hunk off a big hunk um, and then slice some on because I like the presentation, but I don't know. Right, yeah. The other thing they lack usually is stiffness. So if you get it sharp enough so you don't have to press too hard on it to get it to slice, I'm sure they can do they can do an okay job. But in it, whenever you have a gravity-fed um, slicer, what ends up happening is, is you're getting tear-off at the bottom, and that's why you get that raggedy bottom on the bottom of your products and why uh, they always – you have to – if you have a round product, that's why you see people rotating the round product as you go because it's it's – it's as you push down and in, it's cutting more off of one side than the other, and so they end up angling out on you. But we're getting a vertical slicer, which means yeah, that our slices that. will be perfect. Our slices will be perfect. Uh, so anyway, we have a good broadband at the bar, which is where I started into this. We have a two-year-old Benton's. So I would say, and we haven't sliced into it yet because I didn't want to mutilate it on the on our broken slicer. I think a lot depends on what uh, the, most of these people. If you're sticking with someone that's you know well known for it, like a Benton's or a Finchville or a, or a, or a Newsoms or an Edwards or any. Even in Iowa, LaQuercia. I'm not a LaQuercia fan. No. I know you're from Iowa, but I just don't like what the guy does to hams. He trims off all the fat, claims that that's the way that they're done in in Italy. And then gives you this, like, I think overly dried, overly small. I'm not a LaQuercia fan. You like it just because you're from Iowa? Or you, what? No, I'm like, a, I like their spec a lot. Spec's a different product. Yeah, I know. But you know what I mean? I still, I still think for what is entry level to the market price. It's not entry level. For, for the money that LaQuercia charges, I would take a, a product from Sam Edwards any day of the week. Or or Nancy, you know, or or Broadbent's, or Finchville, or Benton's, or any one of those crew. So, sorry, Dave, you said Broadband. Uh, Broadbent. Bent. But you have to get their Broad good, Bent. like you have to get their good ones. You know what I mean? And I believe not to not to not to you know shill out for the for the for the mothership here, but like uh, Patrick Martin's uh, has specific relationships with ham curing people who are. Uh, using good quality pork because he's. If you ever gotten Patrick like going on something, he's like, "Oh yeah, I don't like them. They use the cheapest, the cheapest the cheap, meat, cheap meat, the cheapest meats." And so like he like tracks when people are using the good hams, and then will often buy them back and distribute them. So he's like working with Cesare 
And so, you know, he, he's very, uh, as I've said many times in the past, that almost all of the American producers have, you know, 100, 200 years of ham curing in their collective, uh, you know, consciousness. So it's, they're not like kind of, you know, um, <clears throat> Jane come lately's to this whole kind of a situation. Uh, it's just that, that, you know, for many years, Americans have been using kind of commodity pork, and that's one of the things that's holding them back. And the other thing holding them back is they're being pushed to kind of quick cure things to get, you know, to the minimum, um, you know, to the maximum uh, speed that they can do it. So minimum amount of time of aging. So you're looking at four or five months hams, and even at the same uh, level of dryness, a four or five month ham isn't going to slice the way a one year, two year ham is going. So I would say call call whoever you're interested in and say, do you have anything that's 12 months or better? And then if they do, buy that. And then you're probably going to be uh, happy with it. Now, I can't remember the name of it. There was an outfit. Uh, I forget what they – what. They, oh, my God. I can't, really, can't remember what it was. There was an outfit out of the South that was doing only mast-fed uh, stuff. So they were sourcing from a bunch of different farmers. Mast-fed means they were eating acorns and whatever else they were doing. And there used, years ago, there was one called Peaceful Pastures that was doing Tamworth hogs that were all mass-fed, all made on that person's farm. And they were amazing uh, in terms of the fat had that kind of uh, oily quality that you get off yeah, of the yeah, Nibirico. Yeah. Uh, but I can't remember what the name of this place was, but it was an outfit that was only doing mass-fed hogs in America. You should, we should Google it. I will also Google it. The price was phenomenally high, but if my memory serves me, the product was also very good. They were not okay. an old ham producer they were a newer ham producer, or maybe even a co-op, but just like stressing the importance of the feed of the hog before it before it was killed, which I believe is obviously yeah. something that we've and lost. And here in, I mean, I'm in Washington, in Oregon. There's going to be some good product coming out soon. Um, they're really burned down too. This place called Tails and Trotters out of Portland, Oregon. Um, their goal in life is to make because uh, we have so many hazelnuts out here growing. They want to do hazelnut fed. Uh, uh, Prosciutto style ham. And do they have stuff in cure already? I believe so. But the, yeah, like their stuff burned down in 2017, so they had to start over. Ah. Uh, uh, yeah, so it's probably be a little while before the stuff's on the market. Did you try stuff before it burnt down, or did they never get any product to the market? They never, I mean, they they're, they were selling shorter term stuff, but they it was sad timing. Their prosciutto. Never made it to market it before it burned down. That's so, so sad, I don't. Man. I don't know. I mean, he knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's doing. But I've never tried the prosciutto style. That's very sad. That's very sad. Anyway, put it back up. Anyone? Yeah, but uh, anyone. But just losing all that stock is sad. Like the stories when Sam Edwards' place burned down of <clears throat> dogs eating uh, the meat, you know, in the ruins is like. Yeah, there's like such big stories about that. Like when uh, the mad cow disease hit, like Japan. Like there's. Like pictures of Japanese farmers like burying their wagyu cows and like praying over them, like how sad they were to like raise those and do the whole process. Well, yeah, anyone that cares about their product, when they lose that product, they're losing a piece of themselves, and I feel for them. You yeah. know what I mean? And also, I would say, what's the name of that company again? Um, hang on. Because I believe we should support people who are trying to do this sort yeah, of thing. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah, it's called uh, Tails and Trotters. Tails and Trotters. All right. Well, I can't say anything about their product because I haven't tried it, but I will gladly support them if the product matches it because I support the project. Right? Cool. Anyway, all right. All right so uh, I got to go. If you find um, anything you good, so let me know. Your suggestions. All right, cool. Let me know if you find anything good. Hit me up on the Twitter. Goodbye. All right. So let me see here. I got some... Uh, 
I got something on something similar. So here's uh, here's what it is. This is in from uh, Kim uh, Yardi Ferrer, which, by the way, thank you for helping me on the pronunciation because I would not have gotten it otherwise. Uh, hello, Hammer. You're being hammered today, Bobby. I'm hammered. Yeah. <laughs> not yet. Uh, Hammer, Dave, and the rest. Gee, you're the rest. How do you feel about that? As always. Yeah. <laughs> Long-time listener. I've heard 266 of your 357 episodes. We had 357 episodes? We're at 357 now? Uh, but first-time email writer. The restaurant group where I work as creative chef just got a gift of a whole leg of pure-blood Wagyu beef. So we're talking about you know beef and ham together, wow. right? steamship round. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. we want to turn it into a raw-cured ham. So not obviously not ham, but you want to raw-cure. You want to cure it and serve it raw. Uh I want a soft texture with a strong cured flavor, so I'm thinking about brining it for three weeks using Brian Polson's all-purpose brine recipe of one gallon of water, 225 grams of sea salt, 125 grams of sugar, and 42 grams of cure number one, because it's impossible to find cure number two in Mexico City. All right, so you're in Mexico City. Uh, then hang it for 18 months. You listen, you're going to want uh, – you want the one with nitrate, not the one with nitrite. You need the longer-acting stuff. So just order it from Modernist Pantry or whomever Amazon. will ship it. What? Amazon usually has it too. Well, but he's got to ship to Mexico. Uh, anyway, but like uh, you want the longer acting stuff because even in a in a brine situation, it needs to make it in before it gets converted to get the kind of the kind of cure. Is 21 days enough brining time considering the beef leg is three times the thickness of pork leg but 10 times more weight? Uh, what should I do? Should I brine it instead of dry salting? I would say no. I would not brine it instead of dry salting for this kind of uh, this kind of an application, because none of the great dry cured products in the world are brined. You know what I mean? Uh, like none of them. No. So, uh, so while I've never done a side by side, like like the fact that I don't know of anyone that does it that way is uh, kind of tells you something. I also don't know of anyone that does the whole leg as a as a piece, right? So. Uh, I looked up on, uh, you know, it's my old recommendations on uh, curing hams, right? And typically, so in a ham, in an American ham, when you're measuring a ham, you measure the depth uh, from where the face of the meat on top is all the way to where the fat is on the other side. And they call that the depth of cushion. And they talk about curing seven days per inch of cushion because on a ham, there's all that fat on the one side. I don't know how your leg is trimmed, but there's all that fat on the, on the one side. And the uh, cure does not penetrate through the fat uh, nearly, nearly, nearly as much as it does through the leaner part of it. Now, uh, so they recommend seven inches per, uh, seven days per inch, inch of cushion. I would if I were you, and I also don't know how much the intramuscular marbling on a Wagyu is going to affect the penetration rate because all that right, fat faster. is going to stop the penetration rate. So uh, I would look at, as your reference, I would look at, and I know that if you're in Mexico, now that I know you're in Mexico, that you know for you, Cecina is something different, but I would look at the Cecina de Leon, the Spanish kind of version of it, and if you look at the pieces, even the biggest pieces they have, which are cut off the leg, that's all made from leg, right? Uh, there's kind of squashed flat, right? So it's not the weight isn't the important thing you're dealing with here. It's the thickness. So I would, I would, I would, I, you know, if you really need to do it with the bone in, I guess, but I, I would, I would take the pieces off and kind of push them, uh, flatter, right? And then, um, and then salt them 
I'd have to have like maybe someone on, online here, or Johnny Hunter, can weigh in at some point, or I can text him on whether he's ever salted something that big. I know that uh, I've had hams made before from 350 pound hogs, where the ham alone was like 35 pounds. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it was big, American style, not squished flat. And they were able to cure it, but it, it took a lot longer. But the issue is this: in, in traditional dry curing. The one advantage a brine has is that the brine concentration is the brine concentration. Typically, the way that you work for uh, a larger thing like a ham is you salt the outside, you pull it out, the inside still isn't salted, right? So you do that at refrigeration temperature, so it's not going to spoil. The inside's not salted. You brush the salt off the outside, and you go into what's called the equalization phase, where the salt level equalizes, and that's another couple of weeks after the initial salting, right? So if you keep applying salt the entire time until you're cured through, the entire thing is incredibly oversalted. And so I don't have a lot of physical expertise, because I don't do it, on kind of how to get that right on anything of that size. So I would try to put it into the same confirmation that you're going to deal with and that other people have already dealt with and then use their numbers because you don't want to spoil something that is kind of, of you know, of this uh, yeah. magnitude. I would say when I was uh, when I was a butcher in New Mexico and I did like uh, dry aging and made a couple hams along the way there too, um, dry is way more forgiving than brine. Brine, like, is just, like, so... It can be so quick. And, like, when you're doing something you don't know about, like, you just don't know the permeation rate, like, on something like beef in that rate, especially with the fat content. Like, how do you look at the fat inside of that? Do you I mean, plug it, or, like, how do you... How well, do you pull but, out, you know? Like... Uh, I mean, t- typically, you're the, the, the plug is going to be done later to see how the cure is done. You've yeah. already salted it at that point. Yeah. So, I, look, I would... I, we're gonna. I'm gonna need some outside expertise, so you know maybe I'll ask Johnny uh, what he thinks. But I would go dry, and I yeah, would squish I would it flat. Say too. If you look at the at the if you look at the larger pieces of the Cecina from Lyon, you'll see that all of them have been conformed down such that there's no one chunk that's as big around. Whether whether they dimple it in the middle or whether they squish it flat. They're all doing it. Or to go back to Speck, you can roll the whole thing out flat and then cure it relatively quickly. But I, you know, I'm getting the impression that's not the presentation you want. But uh, I, you know, it's just going to be difficult. The fact that nobody does it that I know of, whole like that for 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 a beef, like says something. You know what I mean, right, Bobby? Wouldn't you say? I mean, it could be that it's just not cost effective, nor probably know. the best technique for it. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but you know, hit me back up again, and because I'm interested in your problem, uh, the Urban Pirate wrote in and said, "Please go if you need scientific papers." And I know there's a lot of people who listen to this who uh, don't have access to scientific papers but would like them. And we've mentioned something like this before, but it's changed. You ready for this website, people, to get any scientific paper for free? HTTPS colon forward forward. By the way. Can you just say slash slash now because people don't use backslashes anymore? I like slash slash. slash all right, right, whatever. Uh, Sci-hub, that's S-C-I-H-U-B dot T-W. I don't know what country T-W is, but dot T-W. You can, you can essentially get any paper there. If, if that site is down because they move it around, just Google Sci-hub for a mirror to that site. And that came from the Urban Pirate. Thank you, Urban Pirate. And not, I'm not advocating theft, by the way. It's just if anyone who's part of a large institution can get this 
and like I've always said, like one of the great things about living in New York is we have a public library where anyone can get access to great stuff. But the problem is our public library isn't what it used to be. They're closed in Mid Manhattan Branch. I feel that like I, I feel you should be able to to access this stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, anyway, and they sent me uh, on a hilarious uh, idea, which is anonymous email or anonymous anonymous email. You seen this? Anonymous email dot me dot me, and you can send an anonymous email to anyone. Yeah. So I'm gonna start just trolling people I hate with anonymous email dot me. Yeah, I saw a really good meme the other day that was like libraries, a place that you can go get information for free, relax in a comfy chair, and not have to purchase anything. Shh, don't tell millennials. <laughs> this episode is brought to you with support from Fairplate, a taste of Ireland in New York, taking place Saturday, March 9th at the Rag Trader. At Fairplate, you can sip and savor Irish whiskey, cheese, grass-fed beef, and more. Tickets and information at F-A-R-E-P-L-A-T-E dot com. Uh, all right, we have, if we have time, do we have time? Do we have time? Do we have time a little bit? Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. By the way, Jay Schroeder, who you know from Chicago, who yep. used to work uh, with uh, Rick Bayless, and then he opened, what, what's the place? Todos Santos now. Yeah, yeah. It's in the basement of a Quixote. So uh, he's coming out with a book, I think, tomorrow. I came. I think it dropped yesterday, actually. Really? Yeah. Called Understanding Mezcal. Now it's it's in our bar. He was graciously sent me a copy, mm-hmm. but Jack and Bobby wanted me to leave it at the bar, so I haven't read it yet because they want to read it. I did not say anything about leaving it at the bar. But. I think Jack wanted Jack wanted to read it. Yeah. Anyway, he also kindly sent us this delicious mezcal, but I was not able to find any information on it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it fermented in wood underground, distilled in copper and wood. It's a it's a Cupriata Chino uh, from Michoacan. But that's all I could get out of it because I couldn't find the maker. The maker is Jose Ines Vieira, and I, apparently the Vieira family is a big family of you know mescaleros down there. But I don't know anything about it. But remember that he yeah. said this. It had all those fruit and berry hits in the in the back end. Yeah. So maybe if he wants, he can come on and talk about his uh, his new book at some point. We'll yeah. have the bar team back on, and we'll all talk about it. But thanks for the book. I'm just saying, if you want to send me your book with some with some delicious mezcal or something, we appreciate it. We do. Um, but on the cocktail thing, Caesar from Seattle writes in, Greetings, and Bobby, you'll like this. Recently, a friend and myself were discussing how a dirty martini should be made, or should not. <laughs> uh they describe their preferred martini as tasting like the Pacific Ocean, which, considering that they live on the Gulf Coast, caught me thinking, what would a Gulf of Mexico drink taste like, oil spills and all? <laughs> we debated and somewhat agreed that it should be a tropical drink with a layer of Jägermeister on top to simulate an oil slick. What do you think would accomplish this theme? Thanks, uh, Caesar from Seattle. Well, I mean, you could just float a layer of olive oil on top. If you want to stay in the martini thing, well, I mean, I- if it's a martini, so in other words, I don't understand, Caesar. Is the question what is the equivalent of a dirty martini? So, if a dirty martini tasting of the Pacific is supposed to make you think of like kumi oysters, right? Yeah. And, and so, on the Gulf of Mexico, a dirty martini shouldn't be a martini at all. It should be more of a tropical tiki drink with an oil slick on top. I mean, you want an oil slick? All you got to do is take some niswa olives, dehydrate them, powder them, infuse them into your vodka, and then you have black vodka. There's your oil slick. Yeah, but but that's not actually providing a slick of sludge on it. By the well, way, misnomer, Michelle Brostow. Misnomer: oil, gasoline, and refined oil floats, but crude oil sinks, yep. which was actually the reason why 
uh, you know, the spill in the Gulf, one of the reasons the spill in the Gulf or why Newtown Creek here in, uh, in, in New York City is such a nightmare because the heavier stuff sinks straight to the bottom and kills out things forever. Uh, I mean, but you don't, you don't even, the people don't even realize you East, East Coast oysters all the way up in, into Maryland, and there's still oil slicks in the shells. You still see little deposits everywhere. Really? Yeah, I mean, that's why I eat northern oysters, baby. Cleaning up. The uh, Dave, we actually have uh, the Urban Pirate on the line. Oh, Urban Pirate! Thanks for calling in. Dave, we actually have uh, the Urban Pirate. Hello? Oh, Urban Pirate! Thanks for calling Whoa, in. I'm in the barrel. The, the pirate has me in a barrel. Uh, quick question yes. about Vita Preps. Sure. Can you hear me? Yes. Hello? Yes. Yeah. We got you. Oh, okay. Well, I can't hear you, but I'll just say my question. Um, so I'm trying to decide between a Vitaprep and a Vitaprep 3, and I can't figure out if the added horsepower is actually necessary. All right. So does he want to dip nails in liquid nitrogen and then powder them? I don't have a do – we, do we what do we have at the bar? Do we have a 3 or do we have a – No, I think we just have normal. Uh, look – I mean, here's what is – I don't know how much more a VitaPrep 3 costs than a, a, sta- a standard VitaPrep. Uh, you're not pulling three horsepower out of a wall socket. Like, I, right. I, there's I, not I, enough wattage. There's not enough wattage. So everybody kind of lies about their – about the power that their products provide. Now, that said, there is a website on the internet. I forget the name of it or the name of the person who ran it where they actually did a bunch of real-world tests on how much energy was actually being put. They're using temperature rises and higher friction and lower friction items like simple syrups to figure out how much wattage they could actually pull. And I think they might have done some ammeter tests, right? But strictly pulling amps out doesn't necessarily – is not the same as how much power you're putting onto your product because the motors aren't 100% efficient, obviously. Um, and they're – what they said was is that the original Vita Prep actually gets fairly close to their ratings. In other words, the original Vita Preps aren't heavily overrated in terms of uh, what the power that they can uh, develop is when they're blending. Now, if you're blending water, it doesn't matter how much power you have. Your blades can't put that much energy into the water anyway. It's more the 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 thing where a regular Vita Prep is going to bog down is purees, uh, pestos, nuts, things like this. Things where the, the the blades can actually generate a lot of power against them. Uh, now that said, I don't know what a th- what a three horsepower quote unquote Vita Prep can do that a regular one can't because a regular Vita Prep can suck almost. Can, it, it, you can't get that much power out of the wall, as you said. So I, I don't really know, but I will say this: like if the Vita Prep three is. Um, going to not cut out when it heats up as much, then that's going to be a better deal. Because if you're using in a commercial environment, if you're doing abusive things to your Vita Prep, like this nuts, purely at home. Yeah, you're not going to blow. Barely out. been able to convince my wife to let me get this and put it on the counter. Yeah, you're not going to blow. Look, if, if it's going to be on your counter, if you have cabinets, I would get the one that fits under your cabinets. Yeah. Although so I, I had a question about that. Assuming I assume that one has different slopes on the sidewall, is that going to affect? The efficiency of the, the blending? Yes. I don't know how because I only have the tall one. Hmm. I built my shelves so that the standard Vita Prep would fit under it, if that gives you an idea. Like, because I, yeah. I use the standard uh, Vita Prep. Or the solution is you can just store the, the, the um, pitcher next to 
the Vita Prep. It's the one problem the Vita Prep has. The other gripe I have with a lot of the new Vita Preps, Vita Mix rather, because they don't call it that anymore, is uh, is they're now all electronic, and yeah. and you you don't really have the old interface that the Vita Prep uh, used to have, and their their knobs aren't as uh, sturdy as they used to be. Um, why why are the even the analog knob is not analog anymore? It's a digital knob. I think so. My brother-in-law registered, you know, after they got married for a Vita Prep, and he was like, "They sell Vitamix. They sell the Vitamix that has the program. Should I buy it?" I said, "No." And he's like, "But they also have the knobs." I'm like, "No." He's like, "But don't I also want the programs?" No. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like I was like, "Just get the one that's the most analog as possible." But I believe, and this is again, I'm talking out of my out of my rear end here because I haven't studied them recently. But I believe, as of recently. I think they're all electronic under the hood and that they just now have the appearance of being analog. But I can't say I can't say with certainty that that's the truth. And regarding the warranty, I heard that the commercial warranty is voided if you use it at home. But I assume that because it's beefier components, I shouldn't worry about the warranty. Uh, how are they going to know you're using it at home? If you try to make a warranty claim and I'm not a business. Right. Uh Maybe the the, the, the funny thing at home that's the, worse well, the, than a restaurant. The funny thing about it is, is that the commercial one always cost more and had a shorter warranty because, in fact, the only difference used to be between the home version, well, you know, 10, 10, 12 years ago, the only difference between the home version and the not home version was that the commercial version cost more and had a worse warranty. Had the same motor, yeah. had the same uh, everything. I think they were different colors. Uh, maybe different different colors. So, I I don't know. I should research. I should go back to the stores and kind of look at it. Also, you know, though, they might have changed their thing. I saw on Amazon someone was selling uh, one of the Vita Preps now for like under two hundred dollars. I think their price. I think they 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 go on sale more now than they used. That's to. That's why I'm trying to go. For also, the don't and don't the ever free, be afraid. Free doesn't have any kind of. Sales right. Don't be ever afraid to look at the refurbished ones too. Like refurbished, I'm a huge fan of refurbished goods Perfect. in general. In life. I, I um, uh, uh, most of the, you know, I, I I haven't tested the three versus versus the other ones. I say in a heavy duty commercial environment, uh, yeah, go for it. I'll, I'll look, everything with that thing is going to be the tip speed of the blades at the at the thing that you're using it at. So for soups and stuff, if it gets to the same tip speed. You're gonna be uh, you're gonna be okay. Yes, the Vita the Vitamix regular one will bog down in, in certain scenarios, and for that you're gonna maybe want the the higher end one. But but as a person of quality, just don't overload the pitcher. That's all you have to do. But oh, here's another fact that they don't necessarily tell you, but they should. Vita the Vitamix runs most efficiently at high speed. Yeah. So uh, what you should do is it, when you're ramping it up, you should ramp it up as quickly as possible and then put it in high. It's much more efficient in high than it is when it's in uh, any of its intermediate modes. So if your Vitamix is uh, overheating, like it's because you are not putting it in high counterintuitively. Thank you. I have a quick follow-up on ham storage. If there's time, otherwise I'll write it in. Sure. Well, what do you got? Let's see. I'll t- if they rip so, me off the air, a buddy of mine gave me a Serrano, like an 18-month Serrano. Right. It ain't no Cinco Hodas, but um, I, I, it's still, it's in the, one of those black cloth bags. I assume it's vacuum packed under there. I've been storing it near the window. It's the winter right now. It has the bone in. Do I need to be concerned about storage? No. 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 Okay. If, if it's wrapped, you don't need to be concerned about storage. What will happen is, 
uh, it won't age normally. It will still it will still age, and against the vacuum packing, you will have to trim off the areas that are adjacent, directly adjacent to the vacuum packing, just because they no vacuum packing is absolute and they will probably be somewhat oxidized and so you'll have to just trim a little around where the packaging is there might even be depending on how it was done some uh you know if they didn't do it properly there might be some mold in that area but i've never had a problem with it i've kept hams for a long long time Dave, one last caller uh we have jake from new jersey asking about the bar and uh the whip creamer or the cream whipper cool jake you're on the air Jake? Huh, maybe he's not on anymore. All right, so hey, back. Yeah, hey, oh, there he is. Hey, how you doing? Hey, man. hey what's going How's on? I've uh, been listening to the backlog. I hear you talk about uh, EC a lot. Yeah. So for Christmas, my uh, my wife just got me the, um, uh, what is it, the gourmet whip, just the, the regular cream whipper. Right. And I've been interested in doing um, like a nitro cold brew coffee. Right. Um. I stupidly thought that the regular nitrous chargers were uh, were the right thing, and they they clearly weren't since the nitrous cold brew is supposed to actually be not nitrous but just nitrogen N two. Uh, okay. So, um, so well, what are you trying to do with it? You're just trying to increase the pressure. Came out with a nitro whip that they they sell actual N two chargers and you're supposed to only use them in the, the nitro whip whipper are huh. you familiar with that at all no no i only use i only use nitrous ox look here, here's okay okay let's just back up for a second what do you there are two things you can be doing here right so if you're doing for instance if, if you're doing the the if you're trying to get that creamy head i have used it someone came by the bar with the nitro yeah. whip they were right? doing cocktails. Yeah, they were doing cocktails in the nitro rip, and they were, they were doing the coffee. So the idea with nitro, the idea with nitrogen, right, is that nitrogen is not very soluble in in liquids. So you are having you create lots of micro bubbles, but not any sort of effervescence. I don't want to call it carbonation because nitrous doesn't taste like CO two. Yeah. Okay, but you're getting this kind of micro bubble nucleation kind of micro texture the equivalent that you would get out of like really frothy shaking or that you might get out of uh like an espresso machine when the when when it's pulling a shot right and so this is why in a beer which also has co2 they have they put nitrogen into it so you get this kind of micronucleation so that you get this like dense creamy head coming out as though you were as though you were gonna pull it out of a cask, right? And so that's why beer and, and beer gas wants that high pressure. They want a higher pressure, but not overcarbonated. And they want to create lot lots of little bubbles, so they want like a lot of immediate kind of pre- like pressure to release, right? They'll use beer gas, which is a mixture of nitrogen and CO2. Now, I use nitrous oxide specifically because it is soluble, and I'm getting massive amounts of continuous and continual gas evolution rather than just a first juice. So when you're using nitrogen, as soon as you release the pressure, it's like pop and that's it. 
And the texturization you get is the texturization that you get, along with the whipping effect of coming out of something that is whipping it high under pressure, right? But you're not getting any lingering effervescence out of it. Does that make sense? Sure, yeah. And you're not getting as much expansion in the product as you would if you had a soluble gas that was coming out of it at, at kind of a high rate. So it's a different thing. Now, uh, well, I don't know. I don't remember. What was the name of the company that used the, the Nitro? Was it called Nitro Whip? I thought it was easy. No, it, it, it's easy, but they, it they call it the Nitro Whip. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and my I, memory serves me. They made it so that the cartridges aren't cross-compatible, right? Yeah. Those freaking Austrians with their safety-minded stuff. Uh, I think it's... Do you, do you know for sure if they're actually not compatible? Because they say not to use it, but I don't know if that's really true. I don't know. Uh, they came by and demonstrated, but they didn't leave the unit in the bar. No. Okay. But that said, you know... What is your function? Like, I would just say, like, what is your function? Like, what what is it that... Why are you doing it? La Colombe uses nitrous. They do, yeah. Um, and I, I like them for the first three sips, and then when the gas is gone, I'm like, this is just a regular coffee again. Right, but the, well, that's the thing. If you're do, if you, so it, if, the, if the beverage has an underlying texture or structure, and you just want to texturize it for the serve, right? Like, people with Guinness want that head on the Guinness. Yep. Then you don't need constant production, and then something like nitrogen is going to work because it's going to produce the effect of that. If the beverage needs constant evolution to maintain its texture, then nitrous is a better choice. Yep. But nitrous adds sweetness and nitrogen does not. Yep. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have so, enough experience. So what do you think? Is it is it safe enough to try it if I if I get the, the N2 charger and it fits? I don't believe it fits. I think I think I asked okay. them and they said it doesn't. I can't say for certain. Uh, there's multiple safeties in, in a real, uh, you know, in, in the real EC things. So I doubt that knowing the, knowing the, the EC folks the way I do, uh, if they actually thought it was a safety concern, then they would guarantee that they were not interchangeable somehow. Like they would change the size of the cartridge such that you could not do it. And because that's just the kind of thing they would do. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, cause they're they are extremely conscientious about that sort of thing. All right, cool, thanks. All right. And then uh, one one other unrelated question. Oh, what do you got? Um, I'm real interested in uh, in your bar existing conditions. Okay. Um, Good. I hope everyone uh, is I, right. Yeah. 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 So I have a uh, a light threatening allergy to nuts, and I know that you guys use um, some liquors and some things like Wurja that that have nuts in them. How much of a cross-contamination risk do you think there would be if I was to, you know, order drinks that obviously didn't have those things? Right now, the only nut-containing product we have in the bar is Frangelico. Yep. So, you know, uh, and so the, the tins, if you told someone, they would, uh, I guess, double wash the tins out. We, could even, we have extra tins. We could even go pull. Yeah, tins. but... Uh, but Frangelico never goes into the mixing glasses, at least you know not on the not on a daily basis. Uh, the Frangelico is kept with an open speed pour, but it's not 
and that's not a drink that people order commonly. We don't currently have any Orzhas on the menu, and our kitchen is nut-free. Awesome, thanks. For now. We might make an Orzhas in the future, but for now, st- come by soon. Come yep. by soon. And, sure. our, and our waffle press has never had a nut in it yet. Nope. Yeah. Popcorn. All right, thanks a lot, guys. All right, cool. So on the way out, Bobby, thanks, Bobby, for coming. Thanks, Steve, for doing the thing. Uh, well, we have something we wanted to push, right? Yeah, we got to talk about the Chef Series. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. So existing conditions, we have a Chef Series coming up. So we could talk more later about what the equivalent of a dirty martini for the Gulf of Mexico is. Yes. If you actually want it to be a martini, I think olive oil on the top, and you can blacken it up with... Yeah, I was going to uh, say, look up uh, Michel Bra black olive oil. Old technique uh, that doesn't get enough cred. Really beautiful. That's your answer, 100%. All right, so Existing Conditions is doing a chef series. Where can you find it, Bobby? Uh, you can find it on our Instagram page, on our Facebook page. And uh, we're xconditions.com. Yes. And so what do we have coming up very soon? Our first one is Brian Fisher. Well, second. Shorty did one. Well, Shorty did one. Second. So our second one is Brian Fisher. Uh, he's actually coming out to do a dinner at the James Beard House with... Uh, Noah Sandoval, uh, Justin Carlisle, and himself. Uh, and he's going to grace our presence this coming Sunday with a five-course tasting menu. Uh, so that's like five days from now. Five days from now, yeah. And we have plenty of tickets still available. We're going to be doing some beverage pairings alongside of our team. Um, it's going to be really awesome. He's running currently a restaurant in Chicago called Entente, um, formerly of a restaurant called Schwa. Really great guy. Uh, I never got to go to Schwa. It's still there. You can yeah. still go. That's it's delicious. I don't get um, to go. I don't travel much. Well, we'll have to go to Chicago soon. Uh, now, so, so now tell them what the deal is. As what are they as, getting? Um, well, it's a five-course menu. Five courses, people. Yeah. Uh, Wait, four courses? Five courses. Five? Five courses. Three courses? Five courses. Five courses? Five For courses. how much? Uh, it's $100 plus tax and gratuity, and then we have a $50 beverage pairing. All be told, um, I don't think we should sell it without the beverage pairing. It's too much of a hassle to worry about whether the people got the beverage pairing or not. Yeah, I agree. But um, still want to give people the option. But I feel like for New York style tasting menus, uh, this is going to be one of the better values you'll see. Like, look up his food. Why the hell do we give good values? We should just rip people off instead of giving them such a good value all the freaking time. We're just dumb dumbs. We're We're the stupidest people on earth. We just give people good stuff for not that much money. But don't miss out. They're going. They're going to do the the James Beard House on the Friday or the Saturday. It's Friday. Friday, and then on Sunday they're going to come in for a one night only, and then we're going to do a whole series of these. Who else do we have coming up? Well, so it's this coming Friday, or I'm sorry, this coming Sunday. Um, Brian will be here. They're going to do their dinner on Friday. Uh, I think it's Friday, yeah. And then Sunday, Monday, Justin Carl, one of the other chefs, is doing a dinner with him. He. Uh, has a restaurant in Milwaukee called Ardent, and it used to be a thing where he called into you quite a bit. He's, yeah. he's been a huge fan for a long time. Um, he would do a ramen pop-up on Friday and Saturday nights, and he called it Red Light Ramen. So basically, when they would turn the red light on the window, people would know that the ramen bar was open. So it would, it would you know, change and morph from this fine dining restaurant into a ramen bar, and it became so successful that they were able to buy the brick and mortar next door, turn it into an actual ramen bar. He then, uh, a couple years ago, got married. His wife's from, I believe it's Guadalajara. Uh, Their mother joined him up to Milwaukee, and they've since opened uh, the Laughing Taco Taqueria. Um, I think they're already at four locations now. We're doing ramen at our place, right? We're doing ramen on Sunday, then Monday we're doing tacos. Wait, so when when is that one? So that is uh, not this Sunday, but the following Sunday, Monday. All right, so go on our Instagram or go on our website yeah. and buy tickets to these because they're fun, and unfortunately for me, they're also a good value. 
Yeah. Um, Justin Justin Carlisle's the ramen and the uh, taco night will be a la carte. We're doing some features on some of our own food. Uh, we're making some stuff. We'll have some drink specials. Featured. We meaning Bobby wants to do a New Mexico night from when he lived in New Mexico. Well, I mean, I, I hope that will happen at some point. But yeah, we'll be doing drinks for those nights. Uh, you know, beverage pairing for Brian. Um, but the a la carte nights will be contributing some food. Uh, you know, showcasing some of our beverages that we like at our bar. Showcasing some nice mezcals will be specials. It's just it's supposed to be a really fun night. You know, get people that are in the industry to come for... Uh, a Sunday, Monday, see the bar. We'll on a la carte nights. You know, obviously have like uh, the full bar available to you. So come, come get some drinks. We're also launching some new drinks this coming week. We have a lot of stuff coming on the menu. So all right, guys. Cooking issues, existing conditions. See you next week. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio you can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right-hand side of our homepage. Thanks for listening.